Well, good morning. We are in the final week of our vision series. And over the past four weeks, we've talked about how worship is the fuel for mission. And that we share a common problem, which leads, hopefully, to a posture of humility as we interact with one another and our neighbors. And we also share a common identity that enables us to celebrate our differences in the church and to engage those who are different outside the church. Daniel last week helped us see how conflict will occur within and outside our church walls and how we might address it with godly principles so that the many will remain as one. Now this morning we're looking at Ephesians chapter 3 where I want us to consider two things. First, the church itself bears witness to the reconciling power of Christ. And then secondly, it's Christ's presence in us which strengthens us and provides the safety needed for mission. Let me pray for us. Lord, we're grateful this morning for the sunshine. We're grateful for the warmer weather. And we're grateful just that you enable us to come here to worship either in person or virtually. And Holy Spirit, we ask you this morning that you would teach us through this ancient text. That you would have your way with us. And Lord, ultimately, that you would make us one. As you, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are one. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them or you can look in your bulletin. And the first thing that I want us to consider as we look at our passage this morning is that the church itself bears witness to the reconciling power of Christ. Now, in the summer of 1988... I joined a team consisting of three Americans, one Hollander, two Brits, three Germans, one Austrian, and one Belgian. And together, we loaded up in vans and cars and left our camp in Belgium, and we traveled to Innsbruck, Austria for a two-week stint. And then we loaded up again, and we traveled to Brook, Austria, which is a small farming village right outside of Vienna where we stayed for a four-week stint. And our mission as a team was to share the good news of the gospel with the Austrian people. Now, while we lived in Innsbruck, uh, we were in a very small church. It was at the base of the Alpine ski jump that was used in the 1976 Winter Olympics. And while we were in Brook, we lived in a small room in a woman's house that guys did. And the women lived about 15 minutes away in a small flat. And over the course of the summer, we who represented six different countries, who spoke different languages, who came from very different socioeconomic backgrounds and different political viewpoints, and who came from very different faith traditions... We were thrust together 24-7 on mission to share the good news of the gospel. And as you might imagine, 
It was not always easy living and doing ministry together. From small things like choosing what we were going to eat for our meals to larger things like how do we communicate with one another when we all speak different languages. It provided a rich opportunity for conflict and tension in our team. But through it all, the shared belief that we are sinners saved by grace. And that our identity is found first and foremost in him enabled us to love and forgive one another. It enabled us to be curious and celebrate our differences. And it enabled us to stand united in our desire to see God bring spiritual renewal in Innsbruck and in Brook, Austria. Together, we were called to go to Austria and to preach the good news of the gospel, which we did through street evangelism and door-to-door ministry. But what I learned that summer was that while proclaiming the truth is necessary and powerful, living the calling where the many become one was what caused the Austrians to want to spend time with us. It caused them to ask questions of how can all of us that were different love and care for one another. The fact that this group of men and women from so many different nations, ethnicities, and backgrounds didn't just tolerate one another, but actually loved one another, bore witness to the reconciling power of Jesus Christ. And likewise, Paul writes in Ephesians 3 that through our unity, we bear witness to Jesus Christ and his saving power. In Genesis, we read that Adam and Eve's disobedience shattered the unity that existed in creation. From that point forward, disunity existed between family members, between friend groups, and between different tribes and nations. And as we were reminded last week in Daniel's sermon, this disunity existed between Jews and Gentiles. But the good news in our text this morning is that God would not allow division to triumph. Paul writes in verse 5 that in the Old Testament, we see hints of God's reconciling work. But in the New Testament, in Jesus Christ, we see the fullness of God's reconciliation. In the New Testament, we see that Christ shattered the dividing wall between himself and man and between men, women, and children. And Paul writes in verses 7 through 9, Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring light for everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things? Paul Paul says, God is not only making the many one in Christ. God is calling him the most unlikely and undeserving person to be a minister to the Gentiles, proclaiming to them the good news of God's reconciliation in Christ. And while Paul's audience was surely celebrating the fact that God had appointed him as an apostle to the Gentiles, 
Paul in verse 10 says to the church, you too are called to proclaim and demonstrate this ministry of reconciliation to those around you. Look at verse 10, he writes, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And he writes, says in this one verse, Paul gives reason for the church's existence. The church, the many who have become one in and through Jesus Christ are to make known the wisdom of God to the earthly rulers and authorities and their shadowy heavenly counterparts who are seeking to create societies and structures that are made in the image of man where they maintain power through division and seek to marginalize others. Paul says God has established the church made up of Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, people of all races and ethnicities, holding different political values and coming from different socioeconomic backgrounds. He has established the church so that we might proclaim the truth of God's reconciliation in Christ. And so that through our unity, we might bear witness to a divided world that the one true God did not allow division to triumph, but instead made a way for all who profess faith in Christ to have everlasting life. Luke writes in the book of Acts that the church is a new community where men and women and children of every race, social and cultural background can come together in glad worship of the one true God. Greg Thompson says it this way. It is the unity in the church that serves as a protest against the disunity in the world. And serves as a beacon of light pointing us to Christ who holds all things together as one body. In these first 13 verses, Paul is reminding the churches in Ephesus that God from the beginning of time had a plan to reconcile all people, Jews and Gentiles, to himself. This plan was dimly revealed in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, God fully unveils this mystery, this secret that through Christ, his reconciliation is made available to all who profess faith in him. And the church itself is a living organism. And when she is united, she bears witness to the truth of Jesus Christ. You see, when black and white, rich and poor, people from all different nations, people from all different political affiliations, people who hold different theological nuances, come together and do life together, then we as a church proclaim with our words and through our actions that God is alive. Jesus is on his throne. The kingdom of God is here. And we push against the disorder that exists in our world. And so 12 years ago, when we planted Hope Chapel, it was our desire then and is our desire today that we would live out our calling. 
The many becoming one. So that those in Sunset Hills and Star Mountain, Lindley Park and UNCG and throughout the whole city of Greensboro would see through our unity the manifold wisdom of God. And this manifold wisdom would push against the rulers and authorities and their dark, shadowy, heavenly beings who seek to divide this city, who seek to gain power, who seek to promote lies, and ultimately who seek to draw men and women and children away from the truth of the gospel. Here at Hope Chapel, we want to be a church who proclaims the truth boldly and who lives out the truth in and through our love of God and one another and our neighbor. But if we're honest with ourselves, the pandemic has made walking in unity very difficult. It's caused us to separate from one another. And in the midst of the separation, it's been easy to allow the differences that we once overlooked because we were interacting with one another to become splinters that irritate us and that cause us to pull away from one another. The pandemic has provided the perfect Petri dish for division. But the good news of our text this morning is not only has Paul reminded us that the church itself bears witness to the reconciling power of Christ, he secondly tells us how we can live in unity. For it is Christ's presence in us which strengthens us and provides the safety needed for mission. Do you hear me? It is Christ in you that provides you with the strength and the safety to love one another and to proclaim the gospel. Take a look at our text beginning in verse 14. Here we have Paul once again bowing his knees before his heavenly father, worshiping and praying to him on behalf of the saints in Ephesus. And, and just as a quick aside, I think it's very important to note that if we want our actions to be effective for God's kingdom, both individually and corporately as a church, we, like the saints who have gone before us, Saints like Desmond Tutu, Amy Carmichael, Jim Elliott, Martin Luther King Jr., and so many others. We must redouble our time and effort on our knees in prayer. For Paul's prayers bring together God's love and power. And we as a church must bow our knees daily to our Lord and Savior in worship and praise and petitioning of him. And so as we look at Paul's prayer. In verses 16 through 19. He prays this. That according to the riches of his glory. He may grant you to be strengthened with power. Through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love may have strength 
to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all fullness of God. So often Paul in his epistles speaks about our lives being hidden in Jesus Christ. We are found in him. But you will notice in these verses, Paul says the power you need to live in unity with fellow believers and to proclaim the wisdom to the rulers and authorities. It comes from Christ dwelling in our hearts. Some translations say Christ making his home in us. It is Christ living and dwelling in us. That provides us with the strength to persevere. It is Christ living and dwelling in you and me that roots and grounds us in his love. It's Christ's life in us that enables us to take up our cross, to die to ourselves, and to enter the lives of others in the church who are different than us. It's Christ's life in us that enables us to experience love in such a powerful way that we are overflowing in our love for one another and then to our neighbors. It is Christ's life in us that provides the safety that is needed to melt our defenses and enable us to enter into conversations with our brothers and sisters who are different from us and who might have beliefs that seemingly threaten us. Jesus is our safety and we take him with us everywhere we go. Just as Daniel entered the lion's den and experienced peace because Jesus was there with him. And just as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego entered the fiery furnace and were not burned because Christ was dealing in the furnace with them. We enter relationships with one another. We enter our workplaces, we enter our schools, we enter our neighborhoods with the assurance that Jesus is with us. It's not about us making safe places. We are safe because the Savior, Jesus Christ, dwells in us. And therefore, we can put down our swords, we can lower our defenses, we can listen to others, We can be curious and engage in conversation knowing, again, that we don't have to create a safe place. We are safe in Christ. The living God dwelling in us, protecting and watching over us. When I was in Austria, there was a point about 10 days in that things had kind of come to a boiling point in the team. There was a rich history in Austria. And the Germans had invaded. They invaded all of Europe. And so imagine the tension that existed between those in Holland, those in Belgium, those Brits, and the Germans. And that tension was real. And then beyond that, there was just tension about everything. And as that tension grew, conflict grew. And I am a conflict avoider. And so I wanted to leave. And I remember calling my mom on the phone 
and just saying, this is awful, this is miserable. And she just said, I will send you money and get you on the first flight out of Austria. And I cannot tell you how tempting that was. But I said, let me think about it. Let me pray about it. And our leader, who happened to be a, a British guy, he saw that I was struggling. He saw that the team was struggling. And he said, Todd, let's, let's take a hike. You and I. So we headed outside of the church. And literally, the Alps were right there. The ski jump was right there. And he said, we're going to go for a hike up this hill. And I was like, okay, that's going to be a tough hike. And we began. And it was a struggle, both of us, climbing that hill. It makes Sugar Mountain look like, you know, a little mound hill. I mean, it was a straight up. And as we struggled and helped one another, and sometimes pulling one another up that hill... He reminded me that that's what living in community is like. It's like climbing this alpine ski jump. Living in community with people from six different countries. It's exhausting. It's tiring. It's difficult. Sharing everything we had took a lot of sacrifice. And it was understandable that all of us would feel alone and want to leave or want to fight. But he looked at me and he said, I believe you can do this. And I believe we as a team can work through our differences and stand united in our mission. Because Jesus Christ died for us. And Jesus Christ is risen. And Jesus Christ lives in us. He is what we share in common. He is what unites us. It is his love in which we are firmly planted and it is his strength and his safety that enables us to let down our guard and work through our conflict with one another and to love one another. This morning, do you believe that Jesus Christ dwells in you? Have you experienced the, the depth, the breadth, the height, the width of God's love for you? Do you know that you don't have to fight for safe spaces because he is your safety and he goes with you wherever you go? The thing I love most about Hope Chapel is you, the people. We're young, we're old. We come from different faith traditions, Presbyterian, Baptist, Anglican, Methodist, charismatic, non-denominational. We hold very different views on politics, how to combat racism, how to engage culture, how to even educate our children. But for all of our differences, we have stand united for 12 and a half years because Christ's life lives in us. And we believe the truth of the gospel, that he has come to reconcile the world to himself. And while the pandemic and other events this past year have challenged us, and certainly challenged me like never before, I believe, like Paul says at the end of his prayer in verses 20 through 21, Christ is able to do far more than we can ever imagine, than we can ever believe, that we can ever ask. And He can and will unite us 
So that for the next 12 years, 20 years, and when I'm dead and gone, and with Jesus, that this church will continue to be a beacon of light. That we'll be a community, gospel community for the flourishing of the city. And that we will continue to be a church that seeks spiritual, social, and cultural renewal. And most importantly, we will be known by our love for one another in the midst of our differences. So I'm excited about what's ahead. I'm excited for us to continue to live out our vision God gave us 12 and a half years ago. And I simply ask you the same thing that Sabrina prayed and we did not talk about it. It starts with our intimacy with Jesus Christ. It starts with our daily prayer and devotion to him. It starts with us getting on our knees and knowing and hearing his whisper in our ears that we are his beloved. And it is from that place that we can move out, that we can love one another, that we can engage one another, that we can listen to one another. And it's from that place that we can stand united and we can go out into the city and we can boldly proclaim the wisdom of God, the truth of God, In a culture that does not want to hear truth, we can do that winsomely and lovingly. And my hope is, like in the 1970s, when Billy Graham came to this city and there was revival that went on in this city, my hope is that out of this pandemic, there will be revival in this city. Because we've repented, because we have fallen deeper in love with Jesus, and because we stand united in the truth of the gospel. And are not ashamed to proclaim it. Amen.